Well, I want to continue our series this morning uh, that is called Journey to Health. It's a series about how do we become healthy and mature believers? How do we become healthy and mature followers of Jesus? Um, and this morning I want to talk about something that I believe has been having a devastating impact on our church. Uh, and it's something we may not even realize. Are you ready? Here's what I think one of our big problems is. We have too many good people in this church. And I know you might look around and you might think, Pastor, we don't have too many of any kind of people in our church. And uh, it's, there's, But listen to me, I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I'm really, I, I do believe this. I think we have too many good people. Um, now, when I say that, I want you to hear me. I, I'm thankful for each of you. I love all of you. I'm really grateful to be your pastor. And yet I'm also concerned. I am concerned that we do not know how to live together with vulnerability. I say that because I know for a fact there is no way that you are as put together as you seem like you are right now. And I long for us to become the kind of church where the wounded and the broken feel like they fit in. And not only that, where we can bring our woundedness and our brokenness and not be afraid. Scripture tells us that healthy Christians are people who embrace their vulnerability. We're going to read from 1 Timothy this morning, uh, from a section from Paul's letter right near the beginning. And at this point, he is explaining, um, he's explaining the law, the necessity of the law, and he breaks into this spontaneous praise where he says, I thank God who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to see that there is a grave danger in putting on a happy face. That the gospel calls us to vulnerability and that there is a way for us to get there. So there's a grave danger in putting on a happy face. Um, Paul, when he wrote this letter, it was near the end of his life. At this point in his life, he had done some pretty impressive things. He had seen the resurrected Jesus, for instance. He had been shipwrecked 
on a mission trip more than once. He had been beaten and left for dead for preaching the gospel. He had planted churches all across the Roman Empire. He'd preached before kings. He'd been left for dead. In other words, this guy, he was a righteous man with a record to show for it. And yet, he was also being completely honest when he wrote to the church and he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Interestingly, if you track Paul's letters, if you read his letters in order, you see that this isn't the first time he's made a comment like this, but as Paul lived his life, as he grew in holiness, but also grew in awareness of his sin and weakness, you see that, that his assessment of himself becomes more and more honest. First, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. And then in Ephesians, a few years later, he wrote, I'm the very least of all the saints. But here in one of his last letters, he wrote, Christ came for sinners, of whom I am the worst. He said, I'm the least of all of the sinners. What astonishes me about that is not only his awareness of his weakness, but it's his willingness to own it. His willingness to declare it and to share it with people. Paul has this humble, passionate, fearless kind of vulnerability that is, it's just completely unlike the way we are. It's completely counter to our natural tendencies as human beings. If you want to see what we're normally like, what our natural tendency is, you don't have to go any further than this week's news, right? Maybe some of you saw the story about the newest Saturday Night Live uh, cast member who was fired before he even made it to the first show. Uh, the news came out that he had been on a podcast and he'd made some really racist comments. He'd used racial slurs to describe other people and when it came to light, they, they fired him before the show even began. And rather than owning up to it, this guy just joined a long list of public figures who have you know, offered these kinds of defensive, proud, non-apology kind of statements after the fact. Maybe you heard some of it. He said things like, I'm happy to apologize to anybody I actually offended, was one of his remarks. Another thing he said was, you know, I'm, a, I'm trying to be the best comedian I can, and sometimes that requires risks. But at no point did he ever say, I'm sorry. He never acknowledged that anything he said was actually hurtful, that it was bad. He certainly didn't recognize that the real problem was the racism that was in his heart. Instead, he made it about everybody else's response, who was making a big deal of it. It was, it was a, a long way away from him being willing to say, I am the greatest sinner on earth. But I think as we're considering that guy, the question is, does his behavior sound familiar to you? Because I think if we're being honest, we all struggle with a posture of pride and defensiveness. I found this list. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can take a picture of it on your smartphone or something if you want to look at it later. But I found this list comparing 
pride and defensiveness to vulnerability and brokenness. And I thought it was really helpful for me, and I'm going to share some of it with you. It says, the proud posture says, I'm guarded and protected about my imperfections and flaws. Whereas the vulnerable says, I'm transparent and weak, and I disclose myself to appropriate others. The proud says, I focus on the positive, strong, successful parts of myself, and the vulnerable says, I'm aware of the weak, needy, limited parts of who I am, and I freely admit my failure. The proud person says, I'm highly offendable and defensive, whereas the vulnerable person is approachable and open to input. The proud person naturally focuses first on the flaws and the mistakes and the sins of others, where the vulnerable is aware of their own brokenness. And because of that, they have compassion. They're slow to judge others. The proud person says, I give my own opinion a lot, even when nobody asks. The vulnerable says, I'm slow to speak. I'm quick to listen. The proud says, I keep people from really seeing what's going on inside of me. Whereas the vulnerable says, I delight in showing vulnerability and weakness so that Christ and his power can be seen in my life. And skipping down to the bottom one that you can barely see there, the proud person says, I'm highly self-conscious and I am concerned how other people perceive me. Whereas the vulnerable says, I am more aware of God and others than making an impression. Now, if we're honest, looking at this, we have to admit that the pride and defensiveness column, it's just full of normal ways of behaving. It's full of stuff that we all do all the time. And because of that, because these behaviors are so common, it's easy to underestimate just how destructive they are. Pride and defensiveness is a poison that is killing your soul. Pride and defensiveness is a poison that will tear apart the church. And a lot of these descriptions, a lot of the things up here, some of them are, are more outward-facing. A lot of them are maybe more aggressive responses. But I want to focus on this one up at the top. I keep people from really seeing what's going on inside of me. That's what you might call putting on a happy face. If you're being really optimistic, if you want to frame it as nicely as possible, you might call it making a good impression. But that instinct to hide yourself, it's robbing you of knowing God's love. And it's actually robbing us of experiencing God's power in our community as a church. And one heinous example of this, one bad example from my own life that I, I'll share with you all, uh, happened a few years ago with, uh, when Melissa and I were going to a party. I was still the assistant pastor at another church. And this party was a couple of blocks away from our house, but on the way there, we just got into an enormous argument. 
If you're married and you've been in a relationship before, you've, I'm sure, experienced this. But we got in this huge fight, and we're running late. And when we get to the party, I'm, I tell her, we got to stop. We got to go in there. I'm, I'm, a, I'm on staff at this church. We got we to get into the party. Let's, you know, stop it. You know, put it on a happy face. Let's go inside. Now, obviously, it would not have been appropriate for us to go into this party and continue yelling at each other and fighting with each other the way that we were. But what we did, burying it, acting like everything was fine, it was just as bad. You know what? It was worse than if we had done, if we'd gone in there fighting. It would have been great for us to go into that room where our pastor was, by the way, where a lot of friends were, and maybe just pull them aside and say, hey, we've been fighting all the way over here, and we didn't have a chance to resolve it, and it's still a wreck, but could you just pray for us? But what we chose to do, or really what I forced us to do in that moment, was to act like everything was okay. And that not only harmed our marriage in the moment, but it brought harm to our church. What we were doing in that moment is, is breaking one of the Ten Commandments. It's called bearing false witness. Because in that moment, we were presenting this false image of holiness instead of trusting that Jesus had grace for us in our sin. If we had actually shared what was going on in that moment, if we'd gone to that party and, and talked to a few people and let them know how we were really doing, if we expressed our weakness, you know, that could have given some other people, some other married couples, some freedom. They would have known that it would be okay for them to come in the light. That it was okay to, to be broken, but instead, by not showing that, by not revealing what was going on inside of us, we reinforce this lie that Christians need to have it together, that good couples never fight, and we cause harm. Vulnerability is life-giving, but denying, hiding your sin, it's death. It might seem like a small thing, some of the stuff I'm describing, but there is a grave danger in glossing over your sin, in pretending like you're something you're not. Proverbs 28, it says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. There is a grave danger in putting on a happy face. And the gospel calls us to vulnerability. Paul says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. How can Paul stand to be this honest? Not only is he 
happy to proclaim that even in, in this moment as a leader, he is still the foremost sinner when he knows his own heart. He's even willing to go back and remind people of his previous record, that he was a blasphemer, that he was a persecutor, that he was an opponent of the church. Do you see how big this is? I mean, we live in a world where the president of the United States has hidden his college transcripts so no one could ever find out if he maybe got bad grades. And here, we have the most important leader of the church saying, let me show you all the bad things I've done. By the grace of God, I have nothing that I need to hide from anybody. Here's all the bad stuff I did. Why? Well, Paul's not unique. That's the great thing about this. What Paul is doing here is he is displaying a very basic characteristic of a Christian. He is displaying a very basic characteristic of someone who has truly encountered the grace of Jesus and been received by him. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is this one, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is the very first line of the Sermon on the Mount, of Jesus' most famous sermon. It's the beginning of a section where Jesus is describing what people are like who belong to his kingdom. He's saying, this is what defines my people. And the very first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What that means is, we all stand empty-handed before God. We can only come to God as poor sinners. Even the best of us, even the most noble, even the most brave, even the most honorable and moral and righteous and accomplished, even the best of us can only come before a perfect, holy, righteous God empty-handed. Even the best of us has to admit that we daily sin in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. But praise God, what this means for us is the gospel has nothing to do with our ability to earn salvation. It has nothing to do with, with our ability to earn God's favor. No, the gospel tells us that we are so miserably and utterly and desperately separate from God that we are incapable of reaching Him. There's nothing we can do to get to God, but God in His grace has decided in the person of Jesus to come down and reach us. This means that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's true. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. God sent His Son, Jesus, to bear the penalty for our sin. And then He gave us Jesus' record of righteousness and perfection to receive. There's nothing we did in that. It's, it's like the song we sang last week, right? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. 
And when you get that, when you see that, when you realize the utter uselessness of your good works to impress God, when you realize that you are spiritually impoverished, then you're in a great spot. That's what Jesus says. You're in a great spot because you can't see that unless God is showing it to you. If you are poor in spirit before the Lord, He says, you're blessed. God's already at work. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. But here's the thing, and this is what I'm preaching about this morning. Some of us, we get this information, we learn this, we realize that we, we come into the Christian life and we start off poor, but then we start to read Scripture and we start to hear about God's requirements of us. We get to know other Christians and we start to live around them and we start to see what they're like and we think, oh, I'm supposed to have my act together. I'm supposed to be better than I am right now. And rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us through the slow, lifelong, painstaking process that is spiritual transformation, sanctification, rather than letting that take its course, we just start to fake it. We just act like we're better than we really are. But you need to know, if, if that's you this morning, poverty of spirit is not something you can have just on the inside. You can't say, yeah, yeah, I'm a proud and defensive and self-righteous jerk, but deep down I know it's bad. You can't say, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm hiding all of my worst things from the people who are closest to me, but, but privately, I, I feel bad about it. I take it before the Lord. I'm sad about those things. That isn't poverty of spirit. That's arrogance. That is self-deception. It's sin. You need to wake up. You need to repent. But I want to also tell you, if that describes you this morning, you're not alone. You are not the first person to travel down this road of secrecy. If you've hidden your brokenness from the world, uh, there are a lot of people who have made that same mistake. King David, for instance, is probably the most famous one in Scripture. You probably remember him, right? King David, he is God's chosen and anointed leader of Israel. God used him to miraculously deliver the people from the Philistines. He saved him out of Saul's hand. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet, we know David, he sinned gravely. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He arranged for her husband to be murdered, to try to cover it up. And the only reason it got exposed was because a prophet sent from God called him out on it. But here's the question. One I hadn't really thought about until this week. How do we know this story? Why do we know the story of David and Bathsheba? It's because of David. Right? 
It's because of David. It's because after he was confronted with his sin, he repented, and then he wrote songs about it. And he made sure that everyone knew about it because he realized that this was a prime opportunity to tell the world about God's mercy. You remember Psalm 51, right? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your mercy, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. How is that for poverty of spirit? And then he prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit and then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David, in that moment, once again, he was able to embrace his poverty of spirit. He knew he had nothing to claim before God. And as a result of this moment in his life, God's mercy and His grace has been proclaimed to billions of people for thousands of years. Right? He was the king. He could have suppressed this whole thing. But no, he let them record it. He let them pass it down. It became something the whole nation knew about because he found freedom in a God who accepted him not because of his own worthiness, but purely because of grace. The gospel calls us to vulnerability. And there is a way that we can get there too. But what is it? What would it take for our church to be a church filled with people who aren't pretending anymore? Who aren't acting like we're doing better than we really are? What will it be to take for us to be comfortable owning our sin, confessing our sin, living in brokenness instead of defensiveness or deception or pride? Well, I think there's a lot of potential answers to this question, but the, there's two things that, that I've been thinking about. One, we need a culture of grace. I once talked with a pastor friend who called me up to confess to me that he was really struggling with pornography. And he was repentant. He wanted support. He wanted accountability. He wanted somebody to talk to. And I was happy to talk with him and pray with him. But at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, you should share this with some of the other pastors you work with. I'm sure they would be happy to walk alongside of you through this struggle in your life. And he said, well, I, I can't do that. In fact, I know if I would do that, I would be immediately fired from my job. Now, I understand why a church would have that rule. I understand why they would put those boundaries in place, but let me ask you this question. Do you think that rule was preventing their pastors from looking at pornography? Obviously, it wasn't. What it was doing was encouraging them to hide from one another. We need 
to have a culture where we can share our sins and spur each other to holiness. If our faith is really founded on this idea of a poverty of spirit, if we all believe, like Paul did, that we are the worst sinners in history, if the gospel is about sinners repenting and receiving grace, then the church should be a place where we can expect to find it. See, it's, it's actually Satan who wants you to believe that exposing your sin is going to make things worse. Now, there's some truth that when you confess sin, pain may follow. If you came to me today and you confessed tax evasion, there might be some process of rectifying that that, that will have some pain involved. However, that small penalty is far better than the penalty of being eaten away by your hidden sin. You might find some temporary pain when you confess your sin, but I promise you that what it will be replaced by in short order is true freedom and joy and light where there used to be darkness. That's what Paul says to us, right, in Ephesians. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then at the end he says, if anything becomes visible, it is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. If we want to be a vulnerable people, we need a culture of grace where we can believe if we bring our sin to one another, we're not going to be cast out. And I want you to know, as a you can expect that from me. You can expect to find grace from me. I, have, I can now say, I've been a pastor long enough, that there's pretty much nothing you can share with me that I haven't heard worse. And I also want to throw out there, I need grace from you. I'm a sinner just like you are. The leaders of the church, we need grace from you. Because we're going to make mistakes, and we'll do our best to confess them and own them. But we have to have this culture where we're free to screw up every now and then. And believe that the gospel can surround that stuff. The second thing that I have here is that we need to normalize brokenness. If we're going to be vulnerable, it can't be a weird thing. It can't be something that just makes us really awkward and uncomfortable to find out that the people in this room aren't as good as you thought they were. We need to have a culture of openness. And, and now listen, when I say that, I'm not meaning that, that every person around you needs to know every single thing that's happening in your life. Not, it's not appropriate for every person in our church to know all your most intimate details, but someone should. You should be willing to let brothers and sisters in Christ into your life. To give them a window into your heart. To know what's really going on. And I think this is a place where I haven't led very well as a pastor. I think that there are things that have happened 
that I could have and should have shared with you. But instead, I put on a happy face and I acted like things were going okay. This past year, this past couple of years, has been extremely hard on me. At times, I've been excruciatingly depressed. There's been times when I've been deeply lonely and afraid. There's been times when I've been overcome with grief and just felt powerless and empty. And it would have been good for me to share that with you. Because I know some of you feel that too. And you know what else? For most of my ministry, I've been a pretty lousy husband. I have overworked. I've not really understood how to connect with my wife's heart. And it would have been good for me to talk about that more. To share some of my struggles, because I know that some of you share in those struggles as well. I'm sharing these things about myself because I want you to know that you also are free to be a work in progress here. You are free to be the foremost sinner for real. You don't have to hide it. That thought that you have right now that if you told us, no one would understand, it's a lie. We're all in the same boat. And I want to invite you here to think about this with me. Dream about this with me. What would it be like if our church became a church full of people like Paul? If we really did have this culture of grace and, and vulnerability and openness that, that started at the top, think of what God could do if all of our sin was brought into the light. Think of the freedom you'd have. Think of how God could use us to support and encourage each other on this painful and, and difficult journey that is life. And Paul, he says, for this reason I received mercy, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example. As an example to those who would believe. And it would be the same for us if we choose this path. The neighborhood wouldn't know what hit it. You know, the early church, it wasn't a collection of well-dressed, happy people. It was full of prostitutes and, and tax collectors. It was full of the bottom rung of society. But people who had encountered the transforming grace of God and people, the world, they couldn't resist it. They were drawn in to these people who were being transformed by the grace of God. So here's my invitation here as I wrap up. I want you to know that these aren't just words. This really is a safe place. 
This is a place where we can come and confess our sins and bring them into the light. And we're going to come up here to the, the table in a second, but, but I'd actually like to take a, a minute, and I want to invite, um, this is a surprise maybe, but Melissa, would you come up here? And, and Patrick, would you come up here? And I just want to take a minute to invite people for a season of prayer. Maybe you have some secret sin in your life. Maybe you are withholding your heart from others. Maybe you are defensive and angry, and you realize that that just doesn't glorify God. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe it's something else, I don't know. But I want to invite you, we, we, there's not a whole lot of us here right now. Let's just take a minute and, and, and come up here, and, and we're just going to give you a moment if you would like to, and you can come up here and receive prayer. And after a few minutes, we'll head to the table.